Hello, my rebels. I sort of uh, take a step back and say, okay, now that the lockdowns are lifting in many provinces and around the world, what do we do next? What should Rebel News do? What should we do with this great civil liberties uh, law firm that we've cobbled together? What should we do with all these reporters? I'll share some ideas and I'll ask for your advice too. That's next. Before I get to that, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of the podcast. Just go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. And uh, thanks for your support. Tonight, the lockdowns are slowly easing. What's the rebel going to do in the months ahead? It's July 6th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish is because it's my bloody right to do so. Lockdowns are being lifted around the world. In Alberta, it was on July 1st that most of the rules came down. I think that caught some of the bureaucrats and enforcers and cops out there off guard. They forgot that they had a Christian pastor in prison, and they said, well, gee, if the lockdown doesn't exist anymore, why exactly are we keeping this pastor in prison? What's our excuse besides vengeance? And so they let him out. I think they literally forgot that they had imprisoned him. So he's out now. As you may have seen, Sheila Gunn-Reed was at that Grace Life Church in Edmonton that was expropriated for several months by the government. The government put their latrines right on the stairs, just to the entryway to the stairs, just to desecrate that church, show them who's boss. Well, that filth is removed and the police are gone and it's now back in the hands of the congregants. Uh, Things are returning to normal in some ways. Drea Humphrey and Matt Brevner were out at a music festival in British Columbia. I think the first time that's been legal in over a year and a half. We talk a lot about restaurants and gyms and retail shops and barbers and things like that, but the entire industry of performers, whether that's music or comedians or everything in between, has simply been canceled. Imagine those folks trying to earn a living. It was nice to see some life return there. There are some professional lockdownists that are trying to stop this. In Calgary, a bunch of little fascists on their city council refused to lift the mask mandate even after the provincial rules came down. That only lasted four days before the rest of the city said, are you crazy? I think the answer is yes, of course, but they're not that crazy. There's an election in Calgary this fall. Would you want to be the alderman saying, no, 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 no. I want to force everyone to wear a mask. You can wear masks yourself. Now, that said, you can see little tyrannies popping up in other places, like the private sector or the quasi-private sector. I saw this news out of Calgary today. The Calgary Stampede is going to have a sort of mask apartheid or mask segregation. If you give them proof that you're vaccinated, if you show a kind of vaccine passport, you can get in. Without it, you're going to have to take a test and probably wear a mask. Yeah, no, I don't think little tyrannies can be delegated to the corporate sector or the quasi-corporate sector like that. I think we're going to have to do some suing to get people's sense back. 
I live in Toronto, which of course is the most locked down city in the world, according to the BBC. As far as I know, Toronto is the only city in North America where restaurants are not open at all. You can have some people on the patio outside, but no one on the inside. Incredibly, there's not even a plan for a projected or hoped for return to normalcy. That's how crazy it is in Toronto. But the rest of the country is slowly returning to normal. So what next? What next for Rebel News? <clears throat> we, we changed and started so many things in our company because of the pandemic. For example, there was so much news about the pandemic. It was then that we started our daily live streams. Before that, we had just used our live streams for very special events like election night shows, which were very successful. But because of the news and the pandemic, we started our daily shows, which I think have been a hit. Now, they've been demonetized by YouTube, which kicks a $400,000 hole in our company. But we still do them because we love to talk to our people and we love the feedback that the chats of these uh, live streams give us. But what about our reporters? We've had so many reporters on the pandemic beat. You may even know that last year we had a Rebbe Award. That's our in-house awards for best pandemic journalist. David Menzies, Tamara Ugolini joined us. We found her as a client <clears throat> in a Fight the Fines campaign. She was walking on a beach, got a ticket. She was so articulate that we said, well, we got to give that gal a job. And she works for us. The rest is history. We have grown our team during the pandemic to cover the news. Drea Humphrey and Matt Brevner, who I mentioned earlier, out west in Vancouver, and um, Adam Sos, who joined us and Kean Simone, we call him K2 because we had another Kean in Calgary too. And even young Daniel Day joining us in Edmonton. Out here in Ontario, we've grown too. Catherine Krasinowski and other journalists, Andrew Chapados, now has a weekly show. The team at Rebel News, and I'm sorry I'm not listing everyone, but it's growing all the time. And we've also expanded even into Quebec in both the English language and French. Alexandre Lavoie does a great job in telling the other side of the story in the other language. And we've really planted the flag in Quebec, including <clears throat> Yankee Pollock, who really wasn't supposed to even be an on-camera guy. He's our social media organizer based in Montreal. And he just started going out in the curfew when Montreal was actually locked down like children at night. And he did great journalism out there. So what do we do with this company? What do we do with this rebel news? that is so geared towards pandemic journalism now that the pandemic is receding. Well, I think the first thing to know is that the pandemic may be receding. In fact, statistically, it's not even a pandemic anymore. But lockdownism is stronger than ever. Oh, sure, that some of the rules are being lifted. But the idea that you can lock down an entire population, that you can tell people where they can go, if they can work, what the rules are for them to visit their own members of the family if they can even go out on the street. The idea that these fascist or communist ideas could be implemented with general public support or at least no major public resistance is shocking. And it's a lesson that won't be lost on the communists and fascists in our society. And when I say communists and fascists, I actually mean those words. Later today, we'll talk to Mark Morano of Climate Depot about a lifelong communist who couldn't be more delighted than to have the levers of lockdownism at her control. In uh, New Zealand, you'll hear how lockdownism is being prescribed 
for climate lockdowns and climate emergencies. I guess what I'm saying is Western society was put to the test on how easily we'd give up our liberties and we failed. I don't think we failed here at Rebel News. We weren't perfect. We didn't get everything right. But I think we did more journalism that was skeptical of the lockdowns and that actually went and followed the facts wherever they led more than any other news source in Canada. I think we were the only people telling the story from the citizen's point of view as opposed from the bureaucracy's point of view, the government's point of view, the prosecution's point of view. Of course, one of the largest things we did, one of the largest things we've ever done, was our fightthefines.com project. It started with Arthur Pavlovsky, a Christian pastor who got a huge ticket for feeding the homeless. You'll remember that videotape. It turned into, well, last we checked in with Victoria Solomon, 1,834 cases. Since then, I'm sure we've come close to 2,000. But the good news is the governments across Canada are starting to drop those cases because are they really going to prosecute 2,000 trials? So we're getting news of cases being dropped. And in fact, as all of these cases age, they're at risk of being thrown out for want of prosecution. As you know, our Charter of Rights guarantees the right to a speedy trial. If you don't have a trial within one, two, three years, there's no way that's legal. I think we could have massive victories. I think that there are some vengeful prosecutors. We've seen that in Alberta against the pastors, certainly. We've got some vengeful politicians. We see that, for example, with Brian Pallister um, in Manitoba, and I understand New Brunswick is particularly harsh. But out of the 1,834 people we've been defending, it would not surprise me if more than 1,500 of them simply had their cases dropped. And I consider that a tremendous victory because we stopped them from paying the fines they shouldn't have done. We stopped them from, in some cases, getting a criminal record. And we let the government know that someone, at least, was pushing back compared to the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, for whom this was their worst moment. This was their hour to shine, and in fact, they hid. And it was even worse in British Columbia, the BC Civil Liberties Association, which didn't lift a finger to stop the lockdown, they actually have gone totally crazy, as you know from my show the other day, endorsing the torching of Catholic churches and standing by that. I want to show you a wonderful little videotape by an Aboriginal woman who's actually a descendant of a residential school survivor, she calls herself, condemning Harshawalia and the BC Liberties, Civil Liberties Association for sowing seeds of hate themselves. You just got to listen to this. Listen to this. As a native way, we do not condone destruction of worship places. As indigenous people, we do not spread hate. How we got here was a result of hate. Someone hated us indigenous people and felt the need to destroy us and our culture. And so 150 years later, we're still at this place where we're having religious wars with each other. Well, we hate you because you hated this, you hate that. And so people are burning down people's places of worship as a result of this hate. And I explained to Harsha Wally how her behavior is keeping that spirit of hate going. And as I explained earlier, I said to her, if you keep this up, this is going to cause a very evil spirit to come to life and spread across this country and destroy it. So it sounds like you, I understand you're, you're accepting her explanation. I accept, about, yes, I accept. But, but words matter to Yes. Well. I mean, mm -hmm. That's why I very strongly said to her what I said. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll forgive you for what you've said. And I, um, okay, whatever, like, you know, whatever your excuses, whatever. But I'm going to explain to you why what you said is so damaging and dangerous in this country. Especially a person who's a leader of a human rights organization. So what do we do? 
Do we wind down our Fight the Fines project? What do we do with all these great journalists we have? <clears throat> well, I think the first thing to know is that although some of these cases will be dropped, there will be other cases that continue. And look, we've managed to build a national civil liberties law firm, and we've teamed up with a civil liberties charity, the Democracy Fund. I think we've got to keep that civil liberties national law firm, public interest law firm going for other things too. As you know, because we've been talking about it for six months, uh, Justin Trudeau and especially his cabinet minister, Stephen Gilboa, have plans to regulate the internet, to regulate your Facebook posts, your YouTube videos, and not just you, of course, I think they're really aiming at guys like us who tell the other side of the story. So I think the need to have civil liberties lawyers nationally is as keen as ever, especially given the failure of the traditional civil liberties groups. I think some of our charter challenges have become moot. That is, we were challenging the law under the charter, but now the law is being rescinded. Is there a point going forward? Well, we'll have to think about those on a case-by-case -case basis. But I think we're just starting to see the development of vaccine passports, which I find terrifying. And the idea that any shopkeeper, any airline, any hotel, any government agent can now demand to know your most private health details I find deeply contrary to Canadian values of privacy and equal rights. And I think we're going to have some major charter litigation there. But I think the next phase beyond the lockdown is I think we're upon a Canadian election. I don't think that's going to come to you as news for me to say so. It wouldn't surprise me if the election is formally called in August when most Canadians are too busy enjoying summer and the barbecue circuit and traveling again for the first time in a year and a half. And I think Justin Trudeau, well, that'll suit him just fine. He won't have to do a lot of campaign events. He'll do a Joe Biden-style, stay-in-the-basement-don't-take-real-questions-style campaign and just sort of cruise into victory, which I'm afraid he'll win, judging by the polls. And it's not just one poll and not just one pollster. Every single poll shows that Aaron O'Toole is on a trend not just to lose the next election, but to lose badly possibly even losing his own seat. In the Durham riding, he's actually lost votes every single time. He's at the risk of losing his own seat, which I think would do the Conservative Party a great favor. I think we have to cover the election in our passionate, high-energy way that we did last time, getting our reporters on planes flying around to where the news is, not just staying in the studio. I think, frankly, I've got to finish my new book and get that out quickly on Trudeau. I'm sure I'll get another inquiry and investigation and prosecution by Elections Canada. But again, that just goes to the need for these books because censorship is upon us. I think what we're going to see, especially in the next uh, election, is how soft the media has become. What several years of being rented out by Trudeau's media bailout really looks like. I think it is, without a doubt, that we and other conservative journalists will be kept out of the federal leaders debate, as was done to us last time. I think that's a certainty. I think if I write another book on time, I think it's a certainty that'll be prosecuted. But I think what will become more and more evident is that the rest of the media has just become ancillaries of the Liberal Party, and they really want Justin Trudeau to win again because that's who their de facto employer is. I think we're going to have some keen problems, some sharp acute problems if Trudeau does get reelected, as I fear he will in September. You know he was pushing to get C-10 
his regulate the internet bill passed. It was a miracle. It was stopped right before Parliament broke. And just before Parliament broke, they introduced C-36 to bring back the hate speech counterfeit right not to be offended, but with terrible new additions like the fact that there will be secret witnesses and secret complaints. And you can get someone arrested with a house arrest for a pre-crime that they haven't committed yet. Terrible things. You bet we're going to be, need both our journalism and our civil liberties litigation for that. Besides just those issues, though, I think Canada is going to be in for a bumpy ride. Did you know that our unemployment rate actually ticked up last month? It should be going down that we're coming out of the lockdown, shouldn't it? I think inflation, inflation is heating up. I think debt is at staggering levels. I'm really worried about the economy, actually, something I haven't said since 2008. I think what's very disturbing is how Trudeau wants to create a race war. I already showed you a taste of that uh, with the comments about burning churches. That indigenous woman who said, stop the hate, stop putting us against each other. We haven't heard anything that clear from Justin Trudeau. In fact, he only had this 16-second comment when he was asked about burning churches. Remember this? Hey, I also want to talk about the arson and vandalism we're seeing across the country targeted at Catholic churches. This is not the way to go. The destruction of places of worship is unacceptable, and it must stop. We must work together to right past wrongs. Everyone has the role to play, not just institutions and organizations, but all Canadians, Indigenous and non-Indigenous. Hey man, that's probably not the right way to go. Can you imagine such a tepid denunciation if it were Jewish synagogues or Muslim mosques being torched? I think Trudeau wants to limit Parliament. You can see he's already suing Parliament because the Speaker ruled against him. I think he wants to eliminate dissent in the media. I think he wants to control the internet. And I think he wants to keep the trappings of the quasi-police state that we had during the lockdown which is one of the reasons he hasn't lifted the lockdown. We have the most bizarre and onerous quarantine rules in the world. But what about us? We're going to keep the national law firm. We're going to keep our great team. They'll still talk about the lockdown, where it exists, but they're going to cover so many other issues. I feel like we've got our biggest team ever. We're going to fly a bit more again. We used to have people flying around like crazy. I think we're going to do that now that airlines are picking up again and there's more schedules. We're going to have events again. We were barred by law from having our big rebel conferences or our little rebel get-togethers. We're going to start. In fact, we got news coming very soon about our first big event, which will be in Alberta. We're going to publish more books. As you know, in the last year, we published the ABCs of Islamism by our chairman of our advisory board, Raheel Raza, and we just published Unsporting, a book by Coach Linda Blade and Barbara Kane. I want to publish a lot more books, and we're doing good on the merchandise side. It's just a fun thing, and it helps pay some bills. And there's an idea I'm not quite ready to share yet, but we've been working on it behind the scenes. I think to expand Rebel News, and to do so with an idea we've never really tried out before, a form of going public to allow people to invest in Rebel News to help fund our growth. Until now, it's just been, as they say, eat what we kill. We raise funds through crowdfunding and we hire staff and we just sort of live really on a month-to-month -month basis. But what would happen if we actually raised some money? I mean, a few million dollars. We paid off our debts last year.
because of the gratitude of our, the generous generosity of our supporters. But what if we could actually expand, if we had a pool of funds to invest thoughtfully and strategically? I don't want to get ahead of myself, but we are looking at a securities compliant way to raise funds for an expanded Rebel News. So we're not going away. We're not done. The lockdown and the pandemic and the extremism of the public health officials and the extremism of the police and the fact that the entire establishment, the governing parties and the opposition parties, the think tanks, the academics, the media, the lawyers, the courts, popular culture, every single other institution in society was pro-lockdown. All the civil liberties groups were silent or actually in favor. All the churches, except for a handful, actually loved the lockdown and said so. We stood alone, or almost alone. The Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms was there too. True North News was there too, and I've almost gone through the whole list. There were a handful of independent politicians who were with us, but I'm afraid they're not going to be in Parliament soon. Randy Hillier, Derek Sloan, Maxime Bernier. One of those isn't even in Parliament anymore, and I think the next two won't be soon either. I think a lot of it falls to Rebel News to keep fighting the good fight and telling the other side of the story. I'm excited that the lockdown is being lifted. I'm not grateful to our politicians because they took those liberties away from us improperly in the first place. But I'm excited about the opportunities it gives us as Rebel News to really increase our efforts, to meet with our viewers again, to have Rebel Live conferences and to expand our work. If you agree with me, let me know. Send me an email to Ezra at rebelnews.com and tell me what you'd like to see in the months ahead as Rebel News gears up for the election and beyond. Well, that's my monologue. Coming up next, my interview with our friend Mark Morano and how he fears that lockdowns are actually going to be a go-to tool for the hard left. Stay with us. That's it. be that you think that we shouldn't lift restrictions at all on the 19th, that we should carry on exactly as we are. Is, am I right? Is that what you're suggesting? Well, lifting restrictions will increase transmission. And with all the problems that I've just talked about, it doesn't seem to me the best time to do that. All right, so in fact, stick you if you remember right. a few weeks ago, we actually postponed lifting restrictions mm. because the situation was so serious. But the situation's even more serious now than it was then. So there's a point I really have to put to you, and, and you'll be aware of this, because there's been a lot of, um, of commentary about this in the British media about you. Um, and it's to do with your politics. And, and you know what I'm going to ask you. Uh, you've been a member of the Communist Party for about 40 years now. You're, you're still a member. And we know that, that communism is basically statist. We look at communist countries around the world and we see that they are tremendously top-down dominant and controlled societies that they, that they rule over. And I just wonder, and I'm putting this question on behalf of those who wonder about your politics, if your politics actually informs your sense of control, it's not just, it's not just a medical argument, but you have a kind of a political bent to want the state to tell people what to do. I've come on your programme as a scientist, as do all people, who come onto your programme as scientists, they come on to talk about the evidence, relevant theories, how we approach our scientific disciplines, and you don't ask other scientists about politics. So I'm very happy to speak about science, which is what my job is, and, and to limit it to that. So you're, you're saying that your politics doesn't inform your opinion on this subject? 
I'm saying that I agreed to come on this program as a scientist. Wow, that's from Good Morning Britain, the largest morning talk show in the United Kingdom. Now, that's a question you don't see put to these lockdownists. Is it really a means to solve a problem? Is the lockdown some cure to some other ailment? Or is the lockdown the actual goal in itself? And I think what we saw for that communist who didn't like to be asked about her communism, the answer is, of course it is. They just found the excuse to go with it. Well, that's in the United Kingdom, but on the other side of the world, in New Zealand, I don't know if this lady's a communist, but she's so excited about lockdowns, again, not to solve a problem, but as the end goal in themselves, she proposes to use them for everything from other diseases to global warming. Take a look at this professor, and you know she's serious, because who else would have that fire red hair? But I hope that, you know, people take from our responses that we can do this for other things too. You know, we can do this for the other uh, diseases that we have here in New Zealand. We can do this for climate change. Um, and I think we should not underestimate, actually, the kind of soft power now that New Zealand has, that we can really be an exemplar for how to be a good society, how to use evidence in the right way. You know, and we're not doing it for everything. So I think we, we you know, we can show that actually, why, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't we do this for other things? Susan Wells, are you feeling proud? Yeah. Well, there you have it. The lockdown, they can't get enough of it. Joining us now via Skype from Washington, D.C., is our friend Mark Morano, the boss of ClimateDepot.com. That first clip from Good Morning Britain, you don't see public health officials or professors grilled on their lockdownist ideology, but that's what lockdownism is it's a belief system in control. That's really what most of public health is, isn't it, Mark? It is, and what we just saw there, Ezra, it was amazing. A mainstream media show actually asked about the motivation behind these insane zero COVID totalitarian policies and directly linked it to the ideology of a lady who's a 40 year plus member of the Communist Party. Now, that presenter you saw is now under serious fire. I say it looks like he could be losing, under threat of losing his job. All the mainstream media is going after him. It was inappropriate. The lady who we asked is out, outraged. Her colleagues are outraged. How dare he do this? You can't question the science. They've turned lockdowns into the science, mm -hmm. and that's incredible. They've, they've actually done it where if you're opposed to their solutions. So that guy really deserves an award for that, and it really exposes the agenda. Now, New Zealand, this is a lady uh, who is who is like their communicator on mm -hmm. the COVID restrictions. COVID, uh, New Zealand is one of the people, one of the countries who has this zero COVID, and it truly is a totalitarian policy. It cannot be achieved without practicing totalitarianism. And not only have they practiced it in New Zealand, they've mastered it. Yeah. They're not just out there you know, practicing, getting for the big game. They've done it. And she actually goes in that interview, she actually says, in order to be a how to be a good society. In other mm -hmm. words, you're a good person, a good society, if you support these endless restrictions. They are ready. They are poised. They're openly talking about moving it on to climate. And I have about five other examples, if we get a chance to go through, of what's just happened in the last month on the climate lockdown front. Yeah, I mean, you know what's interesting is the mask, which was a symbol of compliance. Now that the mask, um, you know, the science, the capital T, science, capital yes. S, is saying, well, you don't need the mask anymore. It's amazing how many people want to wear the mask 
because it's become their flag. It's become like their religious symbol, and it shows what side they're on. And I don't know, I, I think that you, what, what's interesting is people who believe in the vaccine and got the vaccine are now saying, well, I did what you said, so let me be free. And people on the other end of the spectrum who, who never wanted the vaccine, who were skeptical about it, who were worried about it. So you've got both ends now who are saying, well, I already complied, set me free, or I don't want to comply, set me free. But in the middle, you have the people who have mastered the system, who love it, who have profited. I can assure you that neither of the two professors we've shown you today have lost a day's pay. In fact, exactly. they've got a lot of, they're loving lockdownism. I wonder if they'll succeed, Mark. Do you think they'll succeed? Do you think lockdownism will become permanent? I, I absolutely do. In fact, you, they're not just loving it. If you watch that New Zealand clip, and I, and I have the whole full clip up at Climate Depot, it's they're coming the night before. The host is talking about how they look hungover because they went to an award ceremony party by Public Health uh, New Zealand, where they all get, congratulated each other on a job well done and containing the virus. I mean, this is like someone coming up with a theory to try to stop the sun, make the sun go down at the end of the day. Say you want, oh, we want night, so we're going to do all these government policies and then the sun goes down and you all give yourself awards, a job well done. Mm. The virus was going to virus no matter what government policy did. We know from all the past epidemiological studies that masks don't work, that lockdowns never work, that they were never even proposed. And all of a sudden, they're now crediting themselves, patting themselves on the back, so much so that they want to morph over to the climate lockdowns. We are facing in our lifetimes, Ezra, the greatest threat that ever we could ever conceive. This isn't about German tanks rolling into our city and imposing some kind of overt authoritarianism. This is a creeping overnight, uh, part creeping and then part happens overnight. Uh, stay at home, no backyard barbecues, mm -hmm. government had to justify your existence and they're now morphing it to climate. Major reports coming out. And I don't see any of our leadership and politicians on the parties, on, on the, the leaders who are supposed to be on the side of liberty. I see most of them as completely clueless, certainly in the United States. Yeah, well, here in Canada, I mean, I'm coming to you from Toronto, a city where it's still illegal to go into a restaurant or into most gyms. We're the most locked down city in the world. I yeah. didn't see that coming. I mean, I know Canada is more socialist than America, but I just like... There actually is no plan. They don't have like phase one, phase two, phase three. Yeah. Like, a, like there is no exit road, road that's even been mapped out here. There is no path out in Ontario. I, I'm boggled by it. But how does that work in America? You've got 50 different states uh, and each of them has a slightly different policy. I, I think Florida and Texas and South Dakota being leaders and other places being laggards. How does that work when you've got the federal government going even deeper down the lockdownist or vaccine road. Here's Jen Psaki, the spokesman for, excuse me, pardon me, for Joe Biden, saying they're now going to go door to door in certain neighborhoods, pushing the vaccine here. Take a quick look at this, just a very quick click. Take a look. The president will outline five areas his team is focused on to get more Americans vaccinated. One, uh, targeted community by community door to door outreach to get remaining Americans vaccinated by ensuring they have the information they need on how both safe and accessible the vaccine is. That's really weird. Door to door vaccine salesmen. I, I don't get it. Is I, I mean, in Canada and around America, you have lotteries giving millions of dollars away. You have stores giving free ice cream, free hot dogs, free junk food, really. 
I've just never seen such a thing before, but they're you not can't, done. You can't even put on a baseball game or a basketball game messaging. The announcers are saying it. You know, I'll, I'll tell you right now. I will not get the vaccine for one simple reason. The people that are promoting it lied about masks, lied about lockdowns, lied about the death rate from COVID. I don't trust them one ounce. I wouldn't even consider it. I'm not, it's not an option for me or my family to even consider the vaccine. I'm sorry. And I'm not anti-vax. I've gotten every other vaccine, including flu shots. My kids have outlawed them. Everyone. So there's no way you could label me that. But this vaccine, my eyes have been opened mm -hmm. to this whole nonsense. There's no way I would get it. Yeah, I find it very strange. Now, I, the idea of zero COVID, and we hear that, like, like that if there's a single case, you flip, the, yes. you hit the alarm button. They do that in Australia a little bit, too. There's some U Australian states where, like, six cases and they lock down millions of people. It's just out of control. Well, in the, in the climate world, they actually have absolute zero, which mm. is the zero carbon... Uh, um, zero carbon dioxide allowance. In the UK-funded report at Climate, I have a whole pro profile list at Climate Depot. I don't know anyone else who caught this. Not even, you know, even in the UK, they didn't catch this. 2009 report urged climate lockdowns, stop flying, no new roads, airport closures, stop eating beef, lamb, stop doing anything that causes emissions, prohibitions on CO2 similar to asbestos. Hmm. These are exact quotes from the report. Hmm. Absolute zero zero covid they're they're literally like bookends and they're yeah. coming in and they're crushing us like one of those movie you know the moving walls in an old film We're, this is real and not only that peer-reviewed journal not only that the international energy agency recommending it not only that biden's being declared to order a, carbon, a climate emergency again only fly when it's morally justifiable end of private car ownership the end of eating meat degrowth planned recessions this is real. It's happening. No one's voting on it. Republicans aren't aware of it. Uh, and this is happening behind the scenes. Bill Gates buying up uh, the most American farmland, according to NBC News, not some conservative blog. I have NBC News reporter actually saying Bill Gates isn't the one in overalls and a pitchfork out there, but he's buying up the farms from small family-run farmers. And Bill Gates is pushing fake processed vegetable uh, oil, what they're calling you know, meat, uh, as an alternative to cattle things. So what they're doing is taking control of everything behind the scenes with funding, finances, and you know even the Biden administration, every agency, the climate agency, it's all happening. And then you have the ESG, environment, social governance. Banks will not be allowed or be penalized for doing energy projects. They have every avenue in which to enforce this. And most of the public, most of our leadership, all of our leadership, and most of our even side that's elected are completely clueless as to what's happening. We won't be able to have a Donald Trump come in four or eight years and, and undo stuff like the last real Donald Trump did because it's going to be so ingrained, so uh, uh, just died, in, died into, baked into our uh, administrative state. That's where we're headed. Yeah, I, I always found it creepy when I heard that uh, Bill Gates was buying up farmland. I didn't quite understand what his game was. But yeah, I mean, uh, he's got... These crazy, crazy videos he did of him drinking what he called poop water. I don't know what to show that makes me so <laughs> nauseous. He drank water made from oh, feces. I, yeah. I can't even think of it without <laughs> gagging. But it's true, the World Economic Forum. And by the way, Christia Freeland, a very senior cabinet minister in Canada, is still on the board of the World Economic Forum. I don't even know how that's ethical to be on the board of directors of a lobby group when you're uh, in, in the Canadian cabinet. So I'm worried. I mean, you'll recall that... that 
uh, Justin Trudeau gave a speech at the United Nations um, online where, where he said this Great Reset is a chance to use the crisis to transform Canada. Here's a quick clip of that. Building back better means getting support to the most vulnerable while maintaining our momentum on reaching the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and the SDGs. Canada is here to listen and to help. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality, and climate change. So all these things you're talking about, Mark, I mean, they sound, oh my God, conspiratorial. Well, they're being done out in the open. You know, the World Economic Forum saying you won't own anything and you'll love it. Um, Everything you have read, drones are delivered. Here's a quote. These are, again, I only give sources, quotes. I don't like say, oh, you know, Alex Jones said this. No. The International Energy Agency report, which came out, I believe, in March of this year, 2021, urged behavioral change. These are all in quotes behavioral changes to fight climate change, a shift away from private car use, upper speed limits, thermostat controls, limits on hot water. These are in the report. These are the actual mainstream findings. They're telling us exactly what they want to do. What I, my new line, by the way, my new philosophy is 2020, 2021 are the year conspiracy realities outnumber conspiracy theories. You can yeah. take that to the bank. <laughs> well, and, and my point about some people want to wear those masks forever is one of the creepy things about the whole lockdown, and I think it's a form of Stockholm syndrome, is how many people loved it and will miss it, yeah. and were proud of it, and wanted be, to be in on it. And then one of the ways they got in on it was they were little enforcers, petty little enforcers of masks yes. and rules out on the street. And I was shocked and disappointed. The ratio of happy scolds and happy enforcers compared to dissidents. And, and so how easily this yes. communist-style lockdown took root with public health as the explanation, I fear that with climate as the next explanation, I fear there will be again 10, 20, 30 percent of the population that loves it, that run to volunteer to enforce it. I, I learned something about Canadians and people in the whole world. A lot of people don't mind a little bit of tyranny. Last word to you, Mark. Yeah, I mean, Peter Hitchens, the UK columnist, I believe for the Daily Mail, said it best during the height last summer of the COVID uh, lockdowns. He said, if anyone ever wondered what they would have done during uh, Hitler's early years in Nazi Germany, how they would have fought, how could that have happened to these enlightened German people? You don't need to look further than what happened to the world in 2020 and 2021. And I think he's exactly right. Yeah. Everyone looks back at history and says, how could they allow that? And yet we were here now. We watched as in L.A. and Los Angeles and California, people were rewarded. Snitches get rewards mm -hmm. for ratting on your neighbor for too many people over at their house. Your utilities could be cut off mm -hmm. if you had too many people. This was a world that no one ever expected to happen, let alone happen literally overnight mm -hmm. uh, with the hysteria following COVID-19. Yeah, well, we're in the worst of it here in Canada. Mark Morano, great to catch up with you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it, Ezra. There you have it. Mark Morano, check out his website, climatedepot.com. Stay with us more ahead. Hey, welcome back on my show last night. PJ writes, very nice move demanding back your money stolen by the BC Law Society and given to Harsha. 
Yeah, it's from the BC Law Foundation. I don't even know how they get away with that. They just take all the interest from all the, the lawyers' trust funds. That's a very weird, weird gig. Um, just on what basis do they dare to take that money? But because we have business in BC, a few pennies or a few dollars of ours went to Harsha Welly. I don't believe in that. Stephen writes, isn't her tweet the definition of the left's hate crime laws? Yeah, I mean, inciting hatred, uh, likely to expose a person to hatred or contempt. That's the wishy-washy language of the left. In fact, I did sort of a goofy tweet today. I said, on her own terms, Harsha Walia is a bigoted settler who is calling for the destruction of indigenous culture. I mean, when you're saying burn down Indian churches, that's exactly what you're saying. Don writes, if someone said burn down all mosques, they'd be arrested for hate. Oh, they would be, and terrorism, and they'd have a police raid on their home, and they'd be locked up, absolutely. And I'm afraid that we have hate in society that's not going checked, and we have hate crimes and hate prosecutions and hate cops that are going after things that aren't real hate. Not that I even think an emotion should be prosecuted to begin with. I think that's one of the challenges we're going to have in the months and years ahead, the criminalization of feelings and thoughts. That's our show for today. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.